Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Psalm 60 and verse number 1. O oh God, thou hast cast us off. Thou hast scattered us. Thou hast been displeased. O oh, turn thyself to us again. Last week we started something we didn't get finished. We started talking about the displeasure of the Lord. And uh, we come to terms that maybe we can find the favorable side of God by understanding what displeases God. So we're going to continue in the vein of that tonight. If you'll help me pray right now. Father, I come to you tonight. God, I'm grateful, Lord Jesus, for being here. God, I'm so thankful, Lord, for being in your house, in your church, Lord. God, Lord, from the events of today, God, again, taking a second look at the brevity of life, Lord, understand how important it is to do what we do, Lord, when we gather together here. I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, let our hearts and minds be touched afresh by your word. Help us to learn, God, to learn of you. Lord, of your scriptures, I pray. Tuck them, Lord God, very deep within, Lord, our heart, that we might not sin against thee, Lord, as David said. In Jesus' name that I pray, amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. Shake a hand or two before you're seated tonight. Praise the Lord. Amen. That's all right. (laughs) Praise God. Amen. Last week we start considering the displeasure of the Lord and from Psalm 60 and verse 1, and I'll just rehearse very quickly this particular verse. David in his prayer, and perhaps speaking for more than even just himself, They felt like they were cast off or that they were scattered. And then, though, they revealed the cause for uh, what we said could have been their complaint or their concern, and that is because God had been displeased. And he asked him to turn again, to turn himself unto them. And likewise, no doubt, they turning themselves unto the Lord. And so it was then in last week's setting that we viewed a few of the things that may uh, be of a displeasure to to the Lord. Uh, And I don't have all of them written down right here before me tonight, but my memory serves me that one of them was that God was displeased with those that complained on the fringe, if you will, of the camp. Another thing that the Lord was displeased with is whenever uh, an individual drags another person into their error or into their sin. Amen. And so those were a couple of them. Right now, the third one is just slipping from me, and I can't think of it. It was the first one. However, tonight, if we would turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 21 and verses 2 through 3 and verse 7, I wish to continue looking at these tonight. And as with anything that is numbered, or there are several of them, some of them's whistle spots, and some of them uh, you almost set up a residency for a little bit. And so with 1 Chronicles 21 and verse 2, the Bible says, And David said to Joab and to the rulers of the people, 
go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan. And that's basically meaning from uh, the northernmost tip to the southernmost tip of the territory. He says, and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answered, the Lord make his people a hundred times so many more as they be. But my Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then doth my Lord require this thing? Why will he be a cause of trespass to Israel? And verse 7 says, And God was displeased with this thing, therefore he smote Israel. What we have here in the occurrence of First Chronicles 21 is that David is having Joab to number the people. And it would seem like a very innocent action it would be to number the people or begin to count off the people. For that matter, there doesn't seem to be anything inherently wrong with numbering people and counting people. Within itself, it seems like it's not colored necessarily negative or positive, good or bad. But there are even in Scripture times that God had spoke to Moses, the deliverer, and specifically told him that he needed to number the people, that he needed to get a tally about how many people Israel had. As a matter of fact, one of those occurrences happens at the beginning of their wilderness journey, that God has Moses number the people. And then again, we see somewhere close to the end of their wilderness journey that, that God has Moses numbering the people. And in each case, whenever a person would number Israel, they would always count the people as being those who were of fighting age. Uh, uh, the criteria would always be to count the people that were about 20 years old and upward. That was the normal way in which the people would be numbered because uh, most of the time when people were numbered or God would have the people numbered, he wanted to know how many people he was entering into battle with. How many people do we have that's capable and willing and able to fight? But he gave a, a law, he gave an instruction that you just didn't number the people without there's something being done. And what would happen is, whenever they would number the people, that individual then would have to submit uh, half a shekel, some ransom money, if you will, for their soul and for their life. They had to give that. And the Bible's silent in this occasion with David having Joab number the people. It's silent about whether or not there was any ransom money exchange. So I'm going to be silent where Scripture's silent rather than trying to dig something out that isn't there. So I don't know if it happened. But I don't know if it did not take place as well. But we must understand when Moses numbered the people, God told Moses. God said, Moses, I want you to number the people. But that's not the case here concerning David. We don't see no conversation of the Lord with David saying, David, I want you to number the people. As a matter of fact, we see that there's another voice speaking to David. In 1 Chronicles 21 and verse 1, the Bible says, And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked, that word literally meaning enticed or seduced, basically tempted, we might say, David to number the people. It was an instrument of the enemy that David would number the people. Now, there's something important here to realize that even after that, David didn't have to number the people. No one's holding a gun to his head. Uh, the enemy's just provoking, enticing, doing his allurement, but he still didn't have to number the people. Uh, just because you're tempted doesn't mean you have to sin. 
So the power of choice was still inside of David's life. So as we sing, though numbering the people, there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with the action in itself. But sometimes it's what the motive is behind the action that makes it colored as bad or makes it colored as good. So he's being provoked by the devil, being provoked by the enemy to number the people. And Satan wants him to do this. So I can, I can probably rest pretty hard on the fact that this whole action is going to be negative. This whole action is going to be bad because it's the idea of the enemy anyway. And I guarantee if the enemy's behind something, it's probably not for your betterment. It's probably not for your good. It's probably not uh, with pastel colors on it, if you understand what I'm talking about. Amen. So here's David. Uh, David and Israel, if we understand the context of Scripture a little bit, they have been on a winning streak. They have been fighting battles and they've been coming back and they have been the winners. They have conquered and they have seized. Scripture tells us here in 1 Chronicles they have just recently uh, subdued some enemies of theirs. They had overtaken the Philistines. They had overtaken the Moabites. The Bible says that they had defeated the Ammonites. I mean, things are going rather well. They had defeated the Syrians. I mean, I, you, you know how it is whenever it seems like there's victory after victory after victory. You know the feeling that comes uh, with being victorious? You know, I'm, you pull your drawers up a little higher. You, you, know, you know how it feels to be successful? No, none of y'all, y'all just had a bad plight in life and you just never met any success. I say, I'm waiting on that day, Pastor. That's what I'm waiting on. Amen. But, but he's, he's winning all these battles. He's plundering these towns and these villages and, and all these enemies. The Bible even says right before this numbering of the people, they went up against several giants and they were victorious. People that were larger than them and no doubt stronger than them, but they brought them down just like David did in the starting of his career of being a warrior. As he brought down Goliath, so it was now. They were victorious, steady victory. But seemingly the problem with steady victory sometimes is that it deceives us sometimes in believing we can't be defeated. Always being successful in a certain mode of life, sometimes uh, it is our humanity that starts playing with We feel like then that this is going to be the steady stream of our road. Man, look at my history. I've had five good awards already. And so the next one is just going to be the same. And so perhaps they're having their fresh time of celebration over defeating these big giants. I mean, this would be the climax of all the wars that they have been doing. And they've been winning their battles. And they've done all this. And maybe David began to even reflect from years gone by when he was a lad and wet behind the ears how uh, the women and the people started chanting, David has killed his ten thousands and Saul his thousands. Maybe all a flood of memories of how good that feels to be victorious and a warrior and all of these things taking place. But David wasn't just content with having won the battle, he went a little bit further now and he has a danger now in numbering the people without the consent of God. And the question we got to ask ourselves is, David, why did you do this? 
What is your motive behind numbering the, peop- the, the people? You, you've been winning battles. You've been successful. It can't be out of concern that your, your effectiveness has decreased because, man, your history saying you're saying you've been winning. You've been doing real good. Your track record is wonderful. It can't be because a lack of fighting power. Man, you, you just look at these people that you're serving over. This is great and tremendous. And even Joab, whenever David speaks to Joab, he says, you number the people. Joab even questions David and asks him basically this, why are you doing this, David? Why are you numbering the people? I mean, all of these, he says, all these soldiers are yours anyway. I mean, it's not like we're saying, well, these belong to... No, all these soldiers you see before you is yours anyway. Yet David wasn't satisfied enough just to have the results of the warfare, the results from the battle. David wanted some type of measuring stick, if I can underscore, for his and their success. He wanted some type of measuring stick. He says, surely, you know, surely all this success, maybe, maybe, maybe this success, maybe I can draw a line that this comes from our numbers and our fighting power. Or maybe I can draw a line to uh, the chariots that we have, and that's the reason why we've been successful. Our military might, no doubt, it's made us successful. But in reality, the thing that had made them successful was immeasurable because it was God. But it's very easy sometimes whenever your life experiences victories to forget that it's God that's bringing the victory rather than our own doings, our own mechanisms. And what I believe then in Psalms 20, we read in Psalms 20, you can read the the, the chapter if you wish, but in Psalms 20, this psalm is known as the psalm of conflict. It is known as the psalm of trouble. It's believed to be a psalm that David and his army would recite before they would go into battle. And if that be the case, he and his men would sing verses like verse number 7 that says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God before they'd ever enter into that battle. They would reassure themselves in the minds of the people that we're not depending upon the artillery that we have or the horses and the chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And if that be the case, then on all of these occasions that they had victories prior to David numbering the people, on all of these occasions, they had recited that, they had said that, but still somewhere along the way, David still forgot God. If I could say tonight, number four this evening is this. The Lord is displeased when a man numbers the people being motivated by pride. And to simply say it, the Lord is displeased when we and our lives are motivated by pride. William Barclay said this. He said, pride is the ground in which all other sins grows and the parent from which other sins come. Nothing gives our adversary an easier approach into our life than having the advantage over us whenever our hearts and minds are swelling with self-importance. Easy foothold in our life. And it's no wonder that pride has been labeled, as Barclay said, the root for most, if not all, sin 
because I, this is what I believe, because our tempter, Satan, through his own prideful life and ideas, found his lot in life after that of being the devil, the accuser of the brethren. So in reality, his temptation to sin, his temptations to sin for us are the works of a prideful, arrogant nature themselves. It was pride that caused him to fall from heaven. And then the vices that he uses many times will be pride to be the root cause for us falling. Someone once well said that pride, the adulterous worship of self, is the national religion of hell. Amen. The national religion of hell. David had a prideful spirit toward Joab. And it's interesting, again, a week removed, here is David and Joab again. Here is David again alluring, snafuing, if you will, Joab into his air again. And he's pressing Joab to number the people. Amen. But if you'll notice in verse number 2 there in the Quranical reading, in verse number 2, we understand, though, that Joab... In verses 2 and 3, Joab is a little bit more reluctant than he was back through the David and Bathsheba thing. But David is so, so prideful in spirit toward Joab, he's pressing him to number the people. And notice in verse number 2 plainly, he says, you bring the number to me that I may know it. Second time that Joab's been involved in David's heir. Amen, amen. Here Joab's more reluctant, but here's David a little bit more pressing. I still want you to be involved because the Bible says that the king's word ended up prevailing against Joab. Joab was trying to deter David from doing what he wanted to do, numbering the people. Amen. But David again takes advantage of his loyalty, takes advantage of his position, presses him to go on and do it. Amen. He had the idea, the attitude that nobody can tell me what to do. And an attitude that says no one can tell me what to do many times finds its seat in a place of pride. Nobody can tell me what to do. And what is that? That is a spirit of pride. Because with that type of attitude, a person doesn't have any accountability in their life. Amen. No accountability in their life. Why? Because they're too proud for someone to weigh in on the matters of their life. You need somebody that you can be accountable to in your life. Yes, we need people as leadership, ministers, pastors, all the way to laity. You need people that you can be accountable to in your life. You need people that you can bounce things off of and see what they say concerning the matter. And, and not uh, uh, good friends are not necessarily those that characterize that, hey, whatever you do, everything's always right. You know, you, you know, in the business world, it's talking about having a bunch of yes men or yes women with you. Everybody says, you just say something, they say, yeah, 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 let's do it, yeah, 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 yeah. You'll need people like that. You need people that whenever something is sincerely skewed, when something is sincerely wrong, that they can say no, and you'll accept that because you trust them, you have confidence in them, and you are in a position that you can open your life to them, you're not too proud to say that, hey, I don't always get it right. 
And so I need some accountability in my life. I need some people in my life that I can lean on to know whenever I might be steering off the path. But David, there's Joab, the captain of his army. He wasn't even listening to a voice of someone that intimate with David in his life. He said, no, this is what we're going to do. And this is not even thinking, yeah, hey, but David, all these men are yours. All the, Trying to reason with him. There was no reasoning there. You can't reason with prideful people. Amen. The Bible says in Proverbs 6 and verse 16, these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination unto him. 17, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. And the list continues on in the rest of the verses. He said these are six things that the Lord hates. Seven are abomination, the writer of Proverbs says. And he puts pride in the first of the list, even ahead of murder. Amen. And it's not, it's not that murder is necessarily anything less or that uh, hand, uh, a lying tongue is anything less, but it's often that pride leads us to those other things. Pride is usually a leader that leads us to other things. Pride gives man credit for things that only God can do. Amen. It's a form of idolatry, pride is. Because... We take the, David, all these wars have been fought. Now let's number the people. He, he's trying to accept something that wasn't due to his name, but due into the name of the Lord. And doing that then would make yourself God. Make yourself the idol. Hey man, David, you got to remember that the Lord brought these victories into your life. It wasn't you. It wasn't your own army. It wasn't all these other things. But God did this for you. But the spirit of pride just somehow blinds itself to the help and the aid that it got from everywhere else and says, you know what? I did a pretty good job. I got this thing in the bag. Let's see how powerful I really am. It's a silent, I think sometimes pride is a silent sin a silent killer I might say a silent killer in his sermon titled good guys bad guys and us guys I, that's not mine okay Haddon Robinson maybe it'd be a good one you never know shared a story about a young woman who went to her pastor and said pastor I have a besetting sin I want your help I come to church on Sunday and can't help thinking I'm the prettiest girl in the congregation and I know I ought not to think that, but I can't help it. I want you to help me with it. The pastor replied and said, Mary, don't worry about it. In your case, it's not a sin. It's just a horrible mistake. It's amazing sometimes the way you got to deal with pride. <laughs> oh, help us. Proverbs 16, 5, amen, we won't stay there long. Good, bad, and us. That might have been good, bad, and ugly. Proverbs 16, and, <laughs> Proverbs 16, 5. The Bible says, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination. The word abomination literally is disgusting, detestable. That's pretty strong. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination, disgusting, detestable to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. The proud in heart are disgusting to God. Detestable. Furthermore, 
we have read before times of, uh, in the book of Revelation chapter 21, speaking of the end of time, and the Bible speaks that those things that were thrown in the lake of fire, it was those things that were abomination unto the Lord. Whew. I don't want no part of that. For one thing, I don't want to be disgusting and detestable to somebody who's supposed to be my bridegroom. Amen. But he says, a proud heart. I know a lot of times we look, you know, we're trying to, we're nailing down actions or we got lists and stuff, but this, this is really many times a spiritual thing, something we arbor in our spirit, a proud heart. He said, man, that's disgusting. That's detestable. Who can quote Proverbs 16, 18? Many of you can. Pride goeth before and a haughty spirit before a fall. That's right. That's another scripture concerning pride. Now here, here I believe is a good premise in the New Testament uh, for that scripture of 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. The Bible says, wherefore, everybody say wherefore. Wherefore let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. The wherefore is pointing back to something in scripture. They're saying based upon all this that it has just been previously mentioned. And what's been previously mentioned in 1 Corinthians 10, they begin to give an account how their fathers were under the cloud and that they passed through the Red Sea and how that they ate of the same spiritual meat and they drank of the same spiritual drink. It's, it's given account of all this wilderness journey. And, but the Bible said that not many of them God was pleased with because they were adulterers and murmurers and fornicators and all that. And so he says, wherefore, I'm talking about your daddies, I'm talking about your ancestry and your fathers, this is how they were. God wasn't very pleased with that, but he says, wherefore, let him, before you think that you're the goody tissue, he said, wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand, take heed lest he fall. And I believe the verse, if, is it, can you put it back up there? I believe the verse reveals very plainly, amen, uh, the two words that separates us from standing. Maybe it's not up there, is it not? Two words that separate us from standing and falling. We need to just go in and zero in on those. Take heed. What separates the standing from the falling are those who take heed. Amen? Taking a recognition, examining ourselves. Amen. Something else, the Lord is displeased in pride. It's abomination to him. It displeases the Lord. Pride also displeases the Lord because it is the source of our discord. It's the source of our quarreling, our squabbles, our arguments, our fights, our disputes, in our marriages, in our homes, in our churches, in any relationship. And i got scripture to prove this in Proverbs 13.10. The Bible says only, everybody say only. Only by pride cometh contention. But with the well-advised is wisdom. From this scripture, only by pride, I understand that there's only one thing that breeds contention, and that's pride. So if you want to know where the contention is coming from, when there's the dispute, the quarrel, the scobble, if you, you want to know where the contention is coming from, follow the proud look or the proud voice. Because only by pride cometh contention. Scripture is pretty literal. I mean, it, it, it doesn't give me any other option only. How is that so, Brother McGee? 
Because a lot of times when there's dispute, somebody's not willing to give their part up. Mm-hmm. Somebody's not willing to admit they're wrong. Is that not true? In disputes and contention, a lot of time, you know, it takes a big person just to admit they're wrong or it takes a big person just to bow out and say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make this thing any worse by trying to dig a trench five feet deep and 30 feet wide just going to just in other words I don't have to win this one amen so God is displeased with pride because it's the source of our discord it's the source of our contention and of our strife God is displeased with pride lastly one of the reasons God is displeased with pride is because Proud people don't seek God. And this is a reason why prayerless people or prayerlessness in a life should scare us. Because proud people do not seek God. Scripture, Psalms 10 and verse number 4. It says, The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God God is not in all his thoughts. Now, just walk with me here. I understand very plainly it speaks of the wicked. And I understand the wicked and the terminology that God is in not all of his thoughts is referring to the wicked. But the reason why the wicked do not seek God is because not necessarily their wickedness, but because of the pride, listen, the pride of their countenance. The prideful part of the wicked person keeps them prohibits them from seeking God so I submit tonight prayerless people are not godless people but they are definitely proud people because see whenever we go through a daily mode of prayer and we go to God with prayer you know what you're indicating by your actions what you're indicated by that deed of prayer what we're saying by virtue of that is this God I cannot make it in this day without you I can't, I, can't, I can't do this thing called life. I can't do this thing called life on my own. And so we seek out a higher power. We seek out something beyond ourselves. And in that, whenever we're praying, you know what it's saying? It's saying, I'm not too proud to ask for help. I'm not too proud to ask for direction. I'm not too proud to ask for instruction. You say, well, Brother McGee, that is not my motive. You got it all wrong. There's, you know, I, I haven't done that for a long time. And that, that's not what it is. Seriously, folks, really at the bedrock of the matter, that is. And Scripture bears it out. By a proud countenance, they will not seek the Lord. So the Lord is displeased with pride on several levels and for se- several reasons. He's displeased with it because in other things it will lead us to idolatry it will lead us to other sins he, he is displeased with it because it is the source and the root of all contention and he's displeased with it because it will cause a person to become prayerless amen God is displeased with pride Isaiah 59 if you'll turn there with me this evening Isaiah 59 in verse 14 and 15 
Bible says, and judgment is turned away backward. Justice, justice standeth afar off, for truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth. In other words, it's missing, it's not to be found, it's not to be adhered to. And he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. A little tidbit interesting about Isaiah and to understand where we're coming from at Isaiah 59. A little interesting tidbit. So when you look at Isaiah, Isaiah many times has been considered by people uh, overall as the miniature Bible. Because Isaiah has 66 chapters in it. Your Bible has 66 books in it. As a matter of fact, a good, a good split up of Isaiah is half and half. It's interesting, actually, because the first 39 books seem to be make up one section, and the last 27 of the chapters of Isaiah make up the second section of Isaiah. Whenever you come to, to chapter 40 of Isaiah, it's where the voice is crying in the wilderness. That is then in the New Testament scripture, we have John the Baptist crying in the wilderness in the beginning of the Gospels. And so there seems to be a comparable split. So when we're coming to chapter number 59, we're getting closer to the end of things. We're getting closer to the end of time and the end of things. So the theme of Isaiah seems to be going and pressing toward that point of the end of all things. And what it begins to talk about in Isaiah 59, it's talking about it's dealing with, with sinful people and the condition of the people and that uh, it even talks about their ways and their paths and, and their sinfulness and it speaks about it in terms that we can understand. It talks about their paths being crooked and how they're groping about like blind men and, and that they're like a person that has no eyes they're just stumbling around at noontime as though it was midnight like they cannot see and it speaks of them growling like bears and 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 how they're almost like a moaning if you will like doves how they're desolate as the grave the scripture says and and men who would dwell in the grave or in the places like dead men it's it's likening to these type of people in other words they were people that had no direction they cannot find their way and the bible says even before we get to the verses that I read to you that justice and judgment and righteousness and salvation are far from these people as a matter of fact uh, the question is kind of being answered in the first verse of Isaiah 59 uh, basically you know why is all this taking place why is this all happening somebody's trying to pin the cause for this on God like God it's a God problem it's a God fault He's turned away from us. But he tells them very plainly that the Lord's hand's not shortened. It's not shortened and that it cannot save. Neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. He said, but your iniquities have separated you from God. That's the reason all this has come about and has happened. Now, number five, and I won't stay here long. Number five is the Lord is displeased. Look at it now. When truth is not upheld, because consequently there will be no judgment. The scripture literally says it displeased him that there was no judgment. But the reason there was no judgment is because truth failed. Truth failed. The Bible says that justice and judgment were even at a distance. They were far off. How many has ever been in the interstate or along a road? You was traveling, you was wanting to get somewhere and lo and behold, I know these guys have because that's their jobs. There was an accident. 
And you, you know, I remember one time uh, uh, pretty clearly, I remember we were traveling from North Carolina to Tennessee. This is in our evangelizing days. And uh, we were just crossing over the area from North Carolina to Tennessee, getting very close to that. And lo and behold, traffic was backed up. You could see it in the distance. And that always made just me in a bad mood right away. Sadly, that still puts me in a bad mood. A little transparency here. But we had heard then, I don't remember if it was a truck driver or what, but they had had a rock slide from the mountain. And it had blocked all of the eastern road going back over, or the western uh, highway going back toward Tennessee. And so, man, I was several miles from it. And you know what? I never did go down that way. Because there was something lying in the street. I had intentions to go there. That was the direction I was headed, but it didn't happen because there was stuff lying in the street. Judgment and justice are far off. They're on a road. They're on a journey. They're on a travel. They would go, but there's something falling in the street. Truth has fallen in the street. Amen. Truth was fallen in the street. So whenever I come upon an accident like that, what happens it impedes the progress of everybody else that would pass by that way. It slows down or even stops their travel. For us, dear God, it hurt us so bad we got off and had to travel the Blue Ridge Parkway for several, several, several miles. It was a nice reprieve. But many times you've got to find an alternate route, an alternate direction whenever there's something that's fallen in the street. So here's justice, here's judgment, here's equity, or if you will, uprightness. All are far off. It seems like they're turned back. Why? 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 Because truth is lying there in the street. Truth is down. Truth is lying. And here's the thing. Nobody's crying out about it. Amen. No one's crying out against it. The people's just allowing it to lie there. You know, it wouldn't be horrible to have accident and, man, everybody just sat back and it happens. <laughs> sat back and say, well, isn't that too bad for them? You know, I can't wait till something happens. We can get along our way. You know, that ain't that too bad for them. Nobody was crying about that truth was falling here, that truth was failing right here in the street. No one was calling. The Bible even says it in verse 4 of Isaiah 49, 59. He said, none calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. There was no one calling for justice, no one pleading for truth. Amen. All of that was taking place. Truth was falling in the street. And you cannot have judgment without truth. Amen. And God says, I'm displeased because there's no judgment. There's no judgment between right or wrong. There's no judgment between what is true and what's untrue. Why? Because truths fail. What was God against? What was God really displeased with? That somebody hadn't upheld truth. That somebody hadn't supported truth. That somebody hadn't, if you will, preached and taught truth. We're living in a society today, not just of the world, but a church society, that God is displeased today because in pulpits across America, truth is falling in the street. Truth is down. Truth fell up. And there's no judgment, no righteousness, and no justice. Because when truth fails, you lose those things. God said, man, I'm displeased with this. Because there won't be no judgment without truth. You know, the ever popular statement of society is don't judge me. Sometimes it's not just in society. And let me identify with you. I understand 
not wanting people to scrutinize, if you will, me or be scrutinized by other people. But there's a real danger being void of judgment. There's a real danger being void of judgment. God was displeased with that because it signified an absence of truth. If there's no judgment, there's an absence of truth. Thank God that preaching and teaching happens in these classrooms and among here. That, if you will, brings a judgment of God's word into our life. And the only reason why then sometimes I feel like, per se, I'm being judged. Setting in a, under the ministry of Bishop or under the ministry of Brother Mason is because there's truth being dispensed. Amen. There's truth being dispensed. If you'll stand with me this evening. So if judgment is turning the car around on the road, Sometimes I never knew what was going on ahead of me, but I start seeing people take their little U-turns in a median where it's still grass and a lot more cars are heading back the same direction. What's going on? There's something down in the street. So if you see justice and you see, you see righteousness and you see judgment heading in another direction, it's probably because truth's fallen somewhere. Truth has fallen somewhere. It's been abandoned somewhere. We can close our eyes here tonight. The Bible relays to us later in this same chapter that there is a group of people that are looking for judgment. They're looking for salvation, but they cannot find it, or at least it's greatly removed from them. The reason being is because truth is the very foundation for both of them. You need truth for your judgment, but you need truth for your salvation. The Bible plainly tells us a scripture that we love to uh, quote and speak. It said that the truth can make you free. It's your salvation tonight. A couple more things then on the radar that displeases the Lord is that whenever our motive is, is based or driven by pride and then whenever there is no judgment because, without doubt, Someone has stopped supporting, uplifting, adhering to truth. Truth. If I want to find favor with the Lord, I want to be pleasing to God. These are just a couple other things to abstain from. For that matter, concerning the idea of pride, man, I don't want to fall into the sake of idolatry and I don't want to by no means allow that to be a root system that's going to give bloom and flowering to other things in my life that's going to lead me down a wrong road and God I, I can always do with less contention I can always do with less discord and if pride if only by pride that comes then Lord help me God with the spirit of pride and God I don't want that root cause of pride to keep me from seeking the Lord. You know what's interesting? You can be as prideful as you want, but you're going to have to take care of the pride in order to be able to get to that place to seek Him like you really need to seek Him again. And I just submit to you, man, arise tomorrow sometime if prayerlessness has become a habit rather than being prayerful. Arise tomorrow 
and let some of the first words come out of your mouth. God, I can't make it in this day without you. I, the, the affairs of my life that's going to come today, I can't manage them without you. Go on and start casting your dependence. Start casting your dependence upon the Lord. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.